Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's good to be with you again. I'm Pastor Jim, and it's uh, been a wonderful season here at Real Life Church. We just celebrated Easter together. We had beautiful services out on the lawn for those of you who are here and online for those of you who are not. And, uh, and appreciate all of you who have helped out with Easter uh, and helped with the big move over to the new campus. And we had, I think, 30 different people show up to help move all of our stuff from our Valley Center campus to our Glendora campus. I didn't realize how many pickup trucks there were in this congregation. Was this Texas or something? Um, but we moved over, and I thank you for all of you who helped volunteer to make that happen. And, uh, and uh, also those of you who are showing up for our pantry, which is now at our Glendora campus every second and fourth Saturday of the month, because it's, it's great that we have been able to bring that with us and continue to serve families in need by providing groceries. Real Life is a church that exists to lead people to Jesus and to be a community of grace with a God-sized vision for every generation, and you all are making that possible, uh, and I am thankful. So today we're going to continue in our series on the Word, on the Scriptures, and how Christians in a diverse world with lots of voices should look at this book that we call God's Word. Uh, what does it mean for us to call it God's Word? What does it mean to interpret again in a new generation what this text says? And what does it mean to take a, a book that's been used and abused in history and still try to uh, seek in it a revelation of the God who made us and who walks with us today? That's what we're doing in this series. And today we're going to look at another text in which... Uh, Someone in the Scriptures wrestles with the Scriptures. So remember, the, the Scripture is written at various stages along the way. So there are points at which people who are writing what would later become a book of the Bible are reflecting on the Bible, meaning some of the books that were written before them. And so that's what we're doing today as we get to King David and looking at some things that he said about the text. Uh, as we go to this text together, uh, pray with me. God, I thank you that you speak to us. Uh, I thank you that you long to speak to us. You long to have conversation with us. And you, you long to open our ears that we might listen and be attentive. So we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would restrain our disobedience and our willfulness and our intention uh, of running away from you, our intention to run away from you, and instead put faith in our hearts. Uh, put, give us willing hearts uh, to listen and be attentive. Jesus, we want to know you more. And so we ask that as we open your word and talk about your word, that your word would be alive in us. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you can open to uh, Psalm 19. We're going to look at that today. Um, but before that, I'm going to read you a single line from the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Hebrews is talking about the scriptures. Now remember, this is as the New Testament is being written. It is not written yet, so it's primarily reflecting on the, the Hebrews scriptures. But this is what it says. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. 
it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is living and active. Think about that for a minute. I said last week, if you, if you were here at Real Life or if you follow the podcast on reallife.la, uh, I said last week, studying the scriptures is like studying a virus. You're studying something alive. If you're studying uh, a dead, dead matter, you can get information from it. But if you're studying a virus, you better wear a hazmat suit. Because as you study a virus, a virus can get inside of you. Uh, it's living and active. And when you study it, it affects you. And the Bible is like that. When you study the Bible, it, it gets inside of you. It's not just dead matter from which you extract information. Or again, it's, it's like this. Um, there's a, a painting that you've seen before of the creation of Adam on the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, where God is extending his finger out and bringing into existence Adam, who's kind of lackadaisically reaching back in God's direction. And you can look at that painting and admire the beauty of it and think about the theological story behind it. But someone observed in that painting uh, a decade ago things that no one had ever seen before, something in particular that no one had ever seen before. A, a doctor looked at that painting, and he saw, particularly in the, the image of God, that there's a shape around God. And it's sort of curious and strange. It doesn't have a clear intentionality to it. It's sort of an odd shape. But he looked at the perimeter of that part of the painting, and he said, hey, that is exactly the same shape as the outline of a human brain. And this doctor theorized Michelangelo had seen a human brain and, and secretly, subtly put into his painting around the image of God the, the shape of a mind. And it's not inconceivable because the Renaissance painters studied the human form in, in uh, vivid and precise detail. And we know some of the Renaissance painters actually watched autopsies to see what the inside of a human being looked like. So it's not inconceivable that Michelangelo might have known what the shape of a brain actually was. Whether or not that's true, when I look at this painting now, I cannot help but see that. Uh, every time I look at that painting, I'm reminded of the fact that, hey, that kind of looks like the outline of a brain. I can't get that idea out of my head. And that's how the Bible is. Once you see it, it gets inside of you and you can't unsee it. The Bible is not just a, a bunch of stories, it's a cohesive worldview. And it has implications. And once you know it, you realize there are obligations that come with knowing what that worldview is. And, and it works in reverse. The, the Bible is living and active even if you don't know what it says. It's alive, it's affecting you, even if you don't know what it says. Uh, in that sense, it's like this guy, um, uh, again, about a decade ago, uh, who was homeless and living in, I believe it was Salt Lake City, and had been pushing a, a grocery cart around for 15 years. And his brother passed away, a brother he had not seen in many years. And his brother, in his will, left him a small fortune. But this homeless guy didn't know it. He hadn't talked to his brother in years. No one immediately knew how to get in touch with this guy who had become homeless. And so he literally was in possession of a fortune, though he was living like a poor person on the street because he didn't know it was his. They later got in touch with him, they found him, and he inherited the fortune. But that's what you and I are like when we don't read the Bible. Even if you don't read the Bible, it has implications for you. Because you and I, 
are heirs to a fortune. It's already ours. We could already claim it. But a lot of us walk through this life like we are poor, like we are spiritually empty because we have not claimed the fortune that belongs to us that is promised in the Scriptures. So the Bible is living and active. When you know it, it gets inside of you, and you can't unsee it. And when you don't know it, when you haven't read it, it still has implications for you, and implications in the sense that you are missing out on great promises. Okay, so, so the Bible is living and active. That's the Bible's read on itself. That's the author or authors of Hebrews reflecting on what would have been the Hebrew Scriptures, but now as Christians applies to our understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So now I want to look at how the Bible became living and active for King David, the great king of Israel's history, probably 1,000 B.C., King David sat on the throne in Jerusalem, and, and Jerusalem was at its high point in all of its history. They had their king and their armies and their walls. Their nation was at peace. They finally owned their own land, and God's peace was going to reign on the earth through his people in Jerusalem. And King David wrote a number of uh, poems that we call Psalms contained in the book of Psalms. And in it, David reflects on various things. And in Psalm 19, Psalm 19 is one of my favorite Psalms. David reflects on the revelation of God. And the psalm is so beautiful because David walks through three steps of revelation. And when you first read Psalm 19, it feels disjointed. It feels like David talks about one thing, and then he puts down his pen and walks away and forgets what he was writing about and comes back and picks up his pen again and starts writing about something else. And then it happens again. He walks away, forgets what he was writing about, comes back and writes about a third thing. And they look like three different subjects that are not related. But when you, when you think about, when you meditate on what he's saying, they all hold together beautifully. Uh, and you're going to see that as we study Psalm 19 today. So look at Psalm 19 starting at the beginning. Uh, it's prefaced, this is for the director of music, a Psalm of David. So this was probably a song that David wrote that, uh, that he got the band to put some, uh, some tunes to. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. So we, we're opening on an image of the sky, and David's reflecting on how the beauty of the sky reveals to him something of the nature of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The skies above, nature itself, speaks to David. He says, I'm hearing words in what I see in nature. I'm gaining knowledge, information from what I see in the world around me. They have no speech, he says, verse 3. They have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard from them, but their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun and it's like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth, right? So David captures sort of a day, the beauty of a day. He looks towards the heavens and, and they speak to him. They, they tell him things about the world. And he watches the day, the course of the sun running like a champion, running its race from one end of the sky to the other. And, and in that, David is saying in the, the passing of a day, I, I glean knowledge about the universe. I, I glean knowledge about the world. And, and this is what theologians will call natural theology. Theology is the study of God, theos. The Greek word theos is God. Theology is the study of God. And natural theology is the study of God as God reveals himself in nature. 
Uh, and there's a long history to the study of natural theology. Most of us intuitively have a suspicion that there's someone out there. We look at the, the beauty and the power and the creativity of nature, and we think, how on earth could all of this, this immense beauty and complexity, just have popped into existence? Right? We have an intuition for natural theology. Atheism actually takes work to maintain. In the face of so much power and creativity and, and information, there's information written in the human cell. In, in the face of all that, that apparent design, it takes work to maintain a rejection of a, of a designer. Uh, but So historically, theologians have speculated about how God reveals himself in nature. It actually goes back to the Bible. In Romans one, the Apostle Paul says, God's invisible qualities can be clearly seen from what has been made. Right? And that's the, the, the foundation of natural theology. We can see that God's there from what he's made. And when you begin to think about it, when you begin to read about it and, and, and focus on what philosophers and thinkers have said, the case becomes all the more appealing. In the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas laid out some thorough explorations of how a rational person without the Bible should still come to intuitively perceive that God exists. And even today in, in the modern philosophical context, there are a lot of philosophers who believe that God's revelation is, at least in one way or another, clear in nature. Uh, the great atheist philosopher Anthony Flew in the last century before he died, written a dozen books on atheism, actually became not a Christian but a believer in God because of the way he saw the design of the universe. He said, there's, there's no way this is an accident. And he came to believe at least that, the, that a God existed, uh, though not, he was not committed to Christianity. And it actually, if you, if you, whether you're a reader or a video watcher, you can watch philosophers talk about this on YouTube or you can read some, some fascinating, powerful books about it. When you think about how the universe could come to exist out of nothing, not just empty space, but literally there was no empty space before the universe, before the Big Bang, out of, out of nothing. And when you think about how life could come to exist out of inanimate rock, and when you come to think about how consciousness might emerge from something that was originally just a single-cell organism, or how morality might develop within consciousness to bind the, the conscience of the human being, there starts to be a compelling case that God's invisible qualities, His power and His creativity and His nature can be clearly seen from what has been made. And that's natural theology. And that's where David starts off this, uh, this text. He says, I look around in nature and I sense that God is there. It takes a lot of work to resist that inclination, to stare at the ocean or the, the sky at night and, and to say, oh, there's, there's no one there. Uh, I, I heard a, um, an atheist uh, scholar recently say that atheism is on the rise in America. And that might be partly true, but his data was wrong. He, he said he believed that because of the number of people in studies who now, when they are asked, what is your re religious affiliation, they say none, and they're called the nuns. We, we say the, the rise of the, the nuns in our society. But, but the problem is, that doesn't mean they're atheists. The fact that you have no religious affiliation doesn't mean you don't believe in anything. They may be worshiping crystals instead of Christ, 
But humanity has been religious in every era, in every culture throughout the world. We are an innately, inherently religious species. And part of that, it starts in childhood. You look around and just intuitively, it looks like someone is behind it. And that's what David is talking about in, uh, in the beginning of Psalm 19 as he describes uh, nature. Um, it, it's kind of like David is saying, it's kind of like, um, so, so this, this device right here in my hand is, is not a phone. We call this a phone, but it's not a phone. My, my phone is actually an app on this device. My phone is an app on my phone. And, and, and the app, the phone, you can't just use it. You, you can't just call me. That's not how the world works anymore. You have to text me and say, is now a good time to call? Or when can I call? And what we do since the pandemic is we look at it and we go, oh, can I even talk to somebody today? Right? It's not just me. We all we voted on this during the pandemic. That's how we do. It's our new post-pandemic, lazy, uh, lethargic approach to life. We look at that. Oh, well, at least they texted first. Right? You have to text first, and then once you get permission, you can call. And what David is saying is, in nature, God texted us and said, hey, I want to talk to you. And in Scripture, God calls us. Scripture is the next step, the more thorough step. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is actually God showing up on the doorstep. Uh, but we're going to see now, it looks like David puts down his pen, walks away, comes back, forgets what he was writing about, just picks up the pen and starts writing about something else. This next section sounds like a totally different topic. But what it is, it's going from texting to phone calling, and you'll see that. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now remember, David would have been referring, when he says the law of God, they're referring to the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's where the Ten Commandments is and all the other 600 commandments that God gave to Moses and the Hebrews. That's the, the law book. So the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By then is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So we've gone now from natural theology to a doctrine of Scripture. God texted in nature, and in the Scripture, He gives us a phone call. And, and it begins with a series of honorific descriptions of the Bible, of the Scriptures. They refresh us. We can depend on them because they're trustworthy. They make us wise. They make us joyful. That is an excellent Amazon review of this book. Five stars. Would meditate on again. All right? Uh, David is now praising the, the scriptures themselves. And look at verse 11. The scriptures warn us and they reward us. They are both cautionary tape placed around a construction zone to prevent us from falling in a hole. And they're a treasure map leading us to a bounteous reward. Every Christian I've ever known has some story of discovering the powerful inspiration and guidance of the Scripture. Every Christian I've ever known has in one way or another discovered that the Bible is both cautionary tape and a treasure map. 
Uh, I talked to a woman not that long ago who had reconciled with a friend with whom she'd had a major falling out that had lasted for much longer than it should have. And I asked her, what happened that turned you? And she said, I read what Jesus said about forgiveness and I took it seriously. Right? It was actually the, the encounter of the Word of God written describing the Word of God incarnate, Jesus, God in the flesh, that made her go and reconcile with her friend. I remember talking to a guy a couple years ago and he had gone through a hard patch of life where he struggled with addiction issues and he had real troubles at work and and his life seemed to turn around and get on stable ground again. And I asked him what happened? And he said, I read the Bible cover to cover and I decided I would do what it said. And that, that commitment to the word of God served as both cautionary tape and a treasure map. It told him where not to go because there was danger there And it told him where to go because there was reward to be found. And and every Christian I ever know, I've ever known has some story like that of being renewed by the scriptures. Now, again, it looks like David puts down his pen and walks away and goes and has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, kosher one, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then comes back, picks up his pen again, forgets what he's writing about and starts writing about a new topic. But we saw the first section and the second section actually tied together. God speaks to us in nature and then is revealed more thoroughly in the scripture. God texts us in nature and then gives us a phone call in the scripture. The presence of the Holy Spirit is when God shows up on the front door. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, that is a transformative moment. Because we are unable by the power of our own wills to submit ourselves to the guidance of of God's word, of the scriptures. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to to be faithful to him and to become something different than we would be on our own effort. And, And so now in the third section, we see what that transformation looks like. Verse 12, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. So now this is direct address. He's talking to God now. He was describing nature. He was describing scripture. And now it's gone to the first person address. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And then he closes. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in case that rings a bell. Upon discovering God in nature, he is motivated to look for God in Scripture. Upon discovering God of the Scriptures, he is motivated to confession. Because the Word of God is living and active, able to penetrate into the depths of our hearts, like a double-edged sword separating even soul from spirit, bone from marrow, impossibly deep into us. It reveals our hearts to us. And it causes us to seek out the God who calls our name. Um, I'm a dad. Uh, if, the, if the dumb jokes and out-of-date idioms and uh, rarely changing attire didn't include you in, the wrinkles should have. Uh, I'm a dad. And uh, as a dad, uh, I, it's a pretty good description of what I've tried to do uh, with my kids. I've tried to give them uh, a cautionary tape and a treasure map. 
I have a daughter who's a freshman in college. I have a son who's a sophomore in high school. And for all the, the prayer and coaching and guidance that you put into kids' life, it's a pretty good summary to say, what I've tried to do is I've tried to give them cautionary tape and a treasure map. I've tried to say, don't go over here. There's danger here. You're going to fall in a hole. This is going to be bad for you. Do go over here. This is what make, will make you happy. This is what make, will make life go well. When I talk to my kids... When I talk to my kids about Jesus, I'm not trying to indoctrinate them with something that I think they need to fit in and the right social group. I'm trying to lay out for them cautionary tape that says, you know, life without him just is not going to go that well. And I'm trying to give them a treasure map and, says, and, and say to them, if you stick with Jesus, life's just going to be better off. One of my deepest fears in life is that they won't hear me. Pastors experience the same thing. Pastors, by and large, it's a good summary, are trying to lay out for their co uh, congregations cautionary tape and a treasure map. Here's where not to go. This is going to mess us up. We don't want to go there. And go this way. There is reward to be found in this direction. And one of the deepest fears that pastors have is that we will pour our lives into a career and not be heard. Uh, there is hope that the, the messages that we share stick with people, though. I have a friend who's a, a pastor, and uh, he talks about how much he tried to impress good values uh, on his daughter when she was growing up. And he said she was so rebellious when she was a teenager, she used to call him the president of the conservatives club. And he thought, I've lost her. She's never going to listen to me. And now that uh, she's an adult and she's married and he's older, he says, it all worked out, though, because she married the vice president. Right? So there is hope that things stick uh, in, a, in the messages of parenting, that as we lay out cautionary tape, as we pass on a treasure map, that, that it often sticks. Um, even if you're not a parent, God has called us to mentor and raise the next generation in faith. It is the job of the church to pass on a vision of life with Jesus, to lay out cautionary tape for the rising generation that says, hey, there's all kinds of poison and toxicity in this direction. Don't go there. And there's all kinds of beauty and reward, beauty like gold, beauty like honey. Go in this direction. It, it will be good for you. you. You are made for this. God has made us biologically with the capacity to be parents so that we will sympathize with the God who loves us. The God who's left his fingerprints all over creation to say, I'm here. I want you to see me has left us written records to capture the fact that God has interacted with humanity in history, even walking the earth in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. And has called us now <clears throat> into daily dialogue with him, where we would enter into conversation with God and be guided by his spirit. So this is my, my Bible reading challenge for us for the year. I want to I leave you with this challenge uh, as we go through this series. I either want you to read uh, th the three options you have, if you're going to do this, I want you to, if you've never read a book of the Bible before, I want you to read a book of the Bible. And, and you need to start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That's the story of Jesus. The Bible reads from the inside out. So start with either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And just read a chapter a day. You'll be done in a month. If you've already read a Gospel, set out to read the New Testament. Uh, and if you do that, the way to do that is to read a chapter a day, and you'll be done with the whole thing in about nine months. So before next Easter, you will have read the whole New Testament. If you've already read the New Testament, the big challenge is read the whole Bible between this Easter and next Easter. Now, you have to read about three chapters a day. That's a little bit more thorough. That's a couple of pages of the Bible, but you can do it. 
Uh, read the whole Bible in a year, three chapters of the day, uh, and have that under your belt. Again, I, I wouldn't start left to right because you'll get to the book of Leviticus and you will die like so many sacrificial lambs. Start with the gospel, read the book of Romans, read the book of Exodus, read the book of Genesis, and then work your way out from there. But, but make this a goal. Take God's phone call. Become familiar with the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit is armed with those texts to bring them up to your, your conscience at times where you most need them. Um, fair warning, uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. Uh, he said that a, a good atheist can never be too cautious because there are signs of God hidden everywhere. Uh, a good atheist cannot uh, protect his atheism too carefully. Creation itself points us to suspect that someone is out there. And now a rich history of faith and theology calls us to pick up and read. But don't be surprised if, after picking up the living word, you find in your heart the irresistible motivation to fall to your knees and pray. Let's do so now. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you that you call us out of ignorance and blindness and into life with you. And I pray that your spirit would cut deep into our hearts. Forgive us for our willful sins of resisting you and forgive us for our unknown sins of negligence. Put in our heart a spiritual discipline of commitment, of self-discipline, of per persistence. Call us to immerse ourselves in your word and so to grow closer to you. And as we do so, we invite you to show up at the door. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.